This is an ABC podcast. So Gil and I have worked together very closely for 23 years. We've got, we've spoken about this, we've got no issues about how it's going to work. I mean, I think the biggest concern over the next five months, particularly for my wife, is um, how Gil and I are going to deal with the breakup. That's new AFL Chief Executive Andrew Dillon speaking at his coronation press conference about the fact existing CEO Gil McLaughlin will remain in charge until October. Today could have been a full stop on a recruitment process that's taken a year to hire a candidate who was in-house the whole time. Instead, there'll be a further transition period for arguably the most powerful job in Australian sports. Why is that? Can the AFL have two bosses? What's to be taken from the fact the league has again looked in-house for the game's most crucial role amid questions of a boys' club? And what has Dylan highlighted as his biggest challenge in his impending tenure? I'm Patrick Stack. This is ABC Sport Daily. John Ralph is a senior Aussie rules writer for the Herald Sun. He was at AFL House for today's announcement, which raised plenty of questions. John, interesting to see that Gillan McLaughlin will remain in charge until the end of the men's season. He's already been in the departure lounge a year. Andrew Dillon's been inside the organisation more than two decades. He's not coming in cold. Did Dillon or Chair Richard Goiter say why the transition wouldn't happen now? Well, Patrick, to put it succinctly, it's the, the cult of Gill and McLaughlin. You know, Richard Gorder, the AFL chairman, you know, is enthralled to Gill. And you know, I think there is a, a suspicion that he feels like he's the only one that potentially can close the Hawthorne First Nations investigation. Now, that is still a pace. At some stage there, it may well be that, that the only way to resolve that is by mediation. And so certainly I think he feels like he'd love to have Gill in place for a resolution that potentially could see the tenures of two senior coaches up for grabs in some way and certainly could see uh, untold millions you know, paid in legal fees and so I think that's the short answer for it. Really there is no great answer because Andrew Dillon has been the AFL's legal counsel and their football boss well for a significant period of time uh, as part of 23 years of total tenure at the AFL. He's the guy who absolutely can help close the pay deal which of, of course is the second priority for the AFL. The AFL talked about uh, corporate governance and the way that many uh, multinationals do this kind of thing. We're fine Tony, it's, it, it happens in um corporate Australia all the time, transition periods, and, and Gil and I, with the relationship that we've got, the you know professional relationship, which is what it will be, there'll be no concerns there. There is not a great answer, but that's certainly why the AFL is keen to keep Gil and McLaughlin on until October 2, and potentially a couple of weeks short of that if they can get both of those deals done. It feels somewhat messy from the outside looking in. If we had a fresh crisis tomorrow, who's in charge? Who makes decisions? Yeah, and that was exactly the question that was asked of Andrew Dillon. And he said, we'll both make decisions. I've been making decisions all the way through my tenure here. I make decisions every day, Tony, and I'll continue to do that. Who makes a decision as early as tomorrow over a potential night grand final? That's the point of order for the AFL's commission tomorrow. So is it Gillan McLaughlin's belief that maybe it might be time for a twilight grand final? Or what Andrew Dillon made pretty clear today that, you know, he was very very much in favour of a day grand final. And I was fortunate enough over the last three years to go to a grand final that was at the Gabba that was at night. I went to one at Optus Stadium that was a twilight grand final. And then last year was back at the MCG for a day grand final. They've all been amazing. I haven't been to a bad grand final. But last year's grand final was really good. So all those little issues will, will be something that will, will introduce some confusion. I think the, the one thing we would say is that Dills and Gil have both been tied at the hip in terms of a very strong friendship and a great working relationship as well. He's a great friend of mine and he's been great to work with and for 
for the past 23 years. Gil made that clear across Gather Round when he said that you know he's never had a more loyal lieutenant or someone who was just so utterly unflappable with so many of the issues that the AFL has faced. I think one of the things I know about Andrews is incredibly resilient and he's incredibly humble. And I think those two things are going to see him in really good shape to take on that public-facing piece. It won't get to him, both in terms of you know, the resilience required to deal with it, and he's just a modest, humble person who won't get carried away with the, the role. So I think both of those mean that he's going to deal with that really well. And so they will work through it together, even if externally there, there is a very valid cause to say, why the hell is Gillian McLaughlin staying on for 538 days when um, Andrew Dillon's probably ready to take charge? We've seen reports in the Herald Sun suggesting the recruitment process cost as much as a million dollars to find the right person. It took a year, a long time and a lot of cost to find the guy one office down. You asked in the press conference about perceptions of a boys club. Do you think that that's a growing community sentiment? It's definitely a growing community sentiment. I think Andrew Dillon answered that question really well. There's no boys club here. We've got a talented, diverse workforce and um, everyone's opinions are listened to and acted on them. Yeah, we, like, the more diverse the talent, the better the decisions you get. So, I, you know, I don't buy that one bit. Certainly the, the fact that the AFL elevated their competition manager, Laura Kane, to um, the executive general manager interim role, I think that showed that there are people within the AFL who, you know, do value diversity and do, do value uh, gender diversity as well. Uh, uh, certainly the likes of Kylie Rogers, who is the commercial boss, was someone who was considered for the AFL role. Now, Kylie Watson-Wheeler, the, the Western Bulldogs president and the, the, the Australasian boss of Disney, the fact that she was so close to winning that role too, I think shows that Richard Goiter believes that, you know, there are many valuable females and females who could perform the role. But, you know, when you consider this as a Xavier College-educated, Xavier Old Zavarian who won five flags for the Old Zavarians in a very similar pathway to Gil McLaughlin, who, of course, was a, a college-educated boy, came from Uni Blues, yeah, no doubt that perception is there. And so that's something that um, Andrew is going to have to tackle through uh, his hiring policies, through his, you know, cultural changes within the AFL. I, I think that he's very keen to, you know, to make some strong cultural changes and to hire women and people of diversity across the competition doesn't mean that the perception isn't there. The other, I guess, criticism has been the idea of it being somewhat insular. I mean, a missed opportunity for a fresh set of eyes. We've now had the last three bosses hired from in-house. What do you think of the suggestions that it's sort of, I guess, a perpetuation of this insular uh, governance model? To be honest, I just don't think I'm the right person to make that call because, you know, having seen, you know, across my, well, 23 years as well, we probably started within three or four months of each other, I've seen how well Andrew Dillon works and I've seen how, how intimately he is involved in issues like concussion, you know, issues like the everyday issues, which, you know, are AFLW season timing, another decision that the AFL made only a couple of days ago, you know, the AFL grand final start time, which they'll work through. I've seen the way that he is able to operate in, in so many of these issues and I think what has really come out strongly is that you need an extraordinarily knowledge of, of the length and breadth of, of, of football. You know, I'm sure there will be at some stage a, a chief executive who has a stronger commercial background who will get football people in place. But you just see the way that Demetrio and then Gillian McLaughlin after him had to make, you know, multiple decisions every day that, that were informed by really strong football judgment. So for me, I think that Andrew Dillon is the right person to, to take on that job. But the way that Brendan Gale, the Richmond chief executive, was treated extremely shabbily in that process, never really seemed to be a contender despite his extraordinary credentials. Uh, I think you could make the case that, you know, that the AFL continues to hire within and, and that Brendan Gale never really had a chance, even though many people might have said that he was a, a better candidate for the role than, than Andrew Dillon.
You touched on a few of the issues or challenges that remain for Andrew Dillon and today represented his coronation at AFL House. You know, the moment he sort of put out in front of footy fans and given a platform to sort of ring the bell and speak to what is important to him. It wasn't expansion necessarily that he talked about. You know, he touched on concussion. The Hawthorne investigation was mentioned by some of the reporters, but I found it really interesting that he repeatedly talked about community footy. Community clubs, club and community focused. Community football, community footy, community footy. Was this a sounding call, do you think, to the grassroots? No doubt about that. You know, I think through COVID, a lot of people through community football, you know, felt estranged from the game. Certainly a lot of people, even the extraordinary growth of the AFLW, you know, that has stagnated across community levels. A lot of people who reported hundreds of young girls uh, out at training sessions, you know, in that sort of 2018-19 period now are really struggling to fill some of those AFLW teams as well. So, I mean, the AFL has, you know, enshrined in this constitution that a a dollar out of uh, every 10 will go to community football. But yeah, there are a lot of community football leagues in the country that are really struggling. As I say, the AFLW issues there as well. And so that's something that he absolutely has to work on. With the Commission late last year committing 10% of industry revenue, or minimum of 10% of revenue to community football, I think if we can invest that in the right way, in the right places, we'll, we'll just propel the AFL to be the clear number one sport of choice for all people all over Australia. So that's, I see that as a, it's a challenge, but it's also a great opportunity for us. It is challenging for him in that Gillan McLaughlin gets his victory lap, you know, he gets to deliver that 19th franchise. And then of course, we we know how perfectly it is um, executed there. They have their 19th team, and then we understand the myriad challenges that will be so complex. There will be 18 teams that will be screaming and shouting for more money, wondering why so much money is being tipped into Tasmania. And so, you know, Gillan McLaughlin gets the easy part of it, and then in the next six to eight years, uh, Andrew Dillon gets the really ch- challenging aspect of the um, of the integration of it. Certainly the concussion piece, you know, Dills is, is expertly placed to, to deal with that. He has been the AFL's legal counsel. You know, he's working through the, the potential concussion lawsuits. He's working on the hardship fund that potentially we'll see let's call it dozens or hundreds of uh, of former players who have had their lives irrevocably uh, changed by concussions and sub-concussions. He's working through the kind of funding that would allow those guys to live a better quality of life. So so there's significant issues for him. There is always a challenge. There is always a controversy. There's always an Essendon-style saga, and the Hawthorne one is as big as anything in the game, given the um, absolute seriousness of those allegations. Well, I mean, I think it's well documented we've got an independent process in place, and that's playing out at the moment, and it's it's a complex issue and I feel for everyone who's involved in it. And what we're going to do is work to to the best and the right outcome. But it's an independent process and we have to respect that. He's going to have his hands full. They're really tough issues there that um, that he has to deal with. And they're not the the record ratings and the record attendances that potentially, you know, can put your name up in lights and leave you with a legacy project. John Ralph, an enormous day for Aussie Rules. Thanks so much for your time. Absolute pleasure. Headlines. It was not just the AFL with big executive news today. Rugby Australia has announced its boss, Andy Marinos, will depart the CEO role in June. He started the position at the beginning of 2021 and has been credited for improving the code's financial standing. Sydney FC is still celebrating its A-League women's title after it thumped Western United 4-0 in the Harbour City. And now Madison Haley for the finishing touch. And she's got it. And now the celebrations can really begin. Stoppage time. Madison Haley with the icing on the cake.
United were left with a bitter taste on two fronts. They beat the Sky Blues in their semi-final, but the governing body's decision to sell hosting rights to the City of Sydney meant SC was gifted a home grand final anyway, and they cashed in in front of 9,000 fans. Madison Haley was player of the match with two goals. Hoops fans, get ready for Steph v LeBron. Curry put up 50 points, yes, 50, in the Warriors' Game 7 playoffs win over Sacramento. Under eight minutes remaining. Davis trying to swat it away. Curry with Murray on him. Three-pointer. Puts it in! Oh, Steph Curry from way downtown! That sees Golden State face a resurgent LA Lakers led by LeBron James and Anthony Davis with Curry aged 35 and James aged 38. This feels significant. Two titans of the sport going head-to-head in the playoffs once more. China's Ding Loren has become his nation's first chess world champion after defeating Ian Neponashi in the final of the competition in Kazakhstan. Magnus Carlsen, the so-called Roger Federer of chess, did not defend his title, citing a lack of motivation. F1 and Sergio Perez is closing in on Red Bull teammate Max Verstappen in the hunt for the world title after winning the Azerbaijan GP. Australian Oscar Piastri finished 11th, just outside of the points. Apparently, he was crook as a dog. Meanwhile, there were chaotic scenes on the final lap as Esteban Ocon tried to pit, only to find photographers blocking the track. The Alpine driver said he was travelling 300 k's an hour and was lucky to avoid injuring anyone. Yikes. And Hannah Green has won the Women's LA Championship in the LPGA Tour. The Australian victorious in a sudden death playoff as she pocketed 450,000 United States dollars. I'm Patrick Stack. This is ABC Sport Daily, produced by Poppy Penny. A reminder to please rate or review us wherever you get your podcasts. Thanks to Paramount Plus and ESPN for the extra audio used in this episode. Discover more great ABC podcasts, live radio and exclusives on the ABC Listen app.